0: found more to say than peace. (laughs) We encourage you to keep the conversation going later. Um, The writings of the 8th century prophet Jeremiah is not one of the easiest nor the most pleasant books of the Bible to read. Uh, It takes a certain level of discipline and determination to do so. Because the first 28 chapters are messages of judgment. It's really hard to get through them. So if you're feeling kind of full of yourself and positive and think that you're the answer to life's problems, I encourage you to read (laughs) Jeremiah 1 through 28. It speaks of the consequences of Israel's failure to live in covenant relationship with God. Jeremiah announced judgment was coming in the form of a conquering foreign power. And when Babylon's armies encamped near Israel, I mean near Jerusalem's gates, threatening to destroy Judah's capital and take its inhabitants into exile, Jeremiah suddenly changes his message. From one of judgment to one of hope. This passage that's about to be read from Jeremiah 31 is one such passage of hope. In the second reading from Luke 22, Jesus will connect this new covenant theme from Jeremiah to his life mission as reflected in the Passover meal that he shares with his disciples. Let us turn our attention to the hearing of God's word.
1: The scripture today is from Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34, New Revised Standard Version, and Luke twenty two, nineteen to twenty, new international version. Hear these words from the prophet Jeremiah. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. A covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God. And they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, know the Lord. For they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. Luke's description of Jesus celebrating the Passover with his disciples on the night of his betrayal. Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, This is the body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. The word of the Lord.
0: Thanks, Barbara. Compared with the biblical message of hope, our current use of the word seems flabby and weak. We hope our favorite team wins. We hope our family gatherings will be without stress or conflict, and we hope our resources will be enough to meet our needs. But hope in the Bible carries more of an all-or-nothing stake or claim, similar to what G.K. Chesterton said, as long as matters are really hopeful, hope is merely flattery or platitude, it's only when everything is hopeless that hope begins to be a strength at all. Like all the Christian virtues, it is as unreasonable as it is indispensable. Isn't that beautiful? Hope when is really comes to fruition to full strength when everything else is hopeless. Hope is what Jeremiah preached to his contemporaries when their present circumstances were threatened and their future was nothing but despair. Judgment had come, and Jeremiah reminds them that this judgment is God's doing. He tells them to accept it and to learn from it and to grow through it. He reminds them that God is not against them, but God is for them. And he tells them the purpose of God's judgment is to prepare them to receive God's promise of salvation, the promise of a new relationship, the promise of a new beginning. For Jeremiah, judgment is not the last word because for God, it is never the last word. Judgment was necessary after centuries of Israel's hard-heartedness, but its primary effect is to open their hearts to the reality that is beyond themselves. It cracks our shell of self-sufficiency so that we may be in a place to receive God's grace in the form of healing and mercy and forgiveness. For a few years now, I attend, with some regularity, a retreat known as uh, Courage and Renewal. And the focus of the retreat is to connect one's soul to their role, to allow you to have a greater um, connectedness to who you truly are, your true self. Because it, our true selves get lost in the process of a career and and just daily life and the surface of by which we we go about doing things. And if we don't spend time reflecting and knowing who we really are, we're liable to react rather than to respond from a, a true core. Um, as part of this process, there's several tenets, and one of which is when it gets when 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 it gets rough or difficult, turn to wonder. And I always thought that in the escapist, childlike sort of way of, oh, just wonder uh, of the beauty of the stars. And, you know, be filled with awe and inspiration kind of wonder, you know. Um, Imagining yourself in a different place. But that's not what they mean. They mean the hard work of wondering, what do I learn from this? So that when I feel threatened or insecure because of something someone said or done, to ask myself, I wonder what's prompting me to feel so insecure right now? What is causing this anxiety? So that you learn from the experience. It's a wondering of inner uh, probing. Um, I told one of the men's groups that I'm in that I was going to do this, and they said, It sounds like torture. Um, <laughs> Jeremiah wanted the people of Israel to wonder about the judgment they were experiencing. To wonder beyond um, just the immediacy of it to really probe, what does this mean for us? This past Tuesday, a Houston inmate serving a life sentence for a fatal stabbing in 2010 was released on bond, on a bond due to DNA evidence that will likely exonerate him. When Lydell Grant was released, he said, I feel rejuvenated. I feel free now. It was a long time coming. I always claimed my innocence. Never give up and trust in God. That's the lesson. When asked if he had a message for his prosecutors, he indicated he had no bitterness in his heart against them. Instead, he went on, I just thank God that I get to spend time with my family. I thank my attorneys. I thank God. I've got to keep saying that. I thank God. I thank God. Wow. On Monday, three men in Baltimore, same week. Isn't this astonishing? Alfred Chestnut, Ransom Watkins, and Andrew Stewart were released from custody after serving 36 years for murder they did not commit. The men were teens when arrested on Thanksgiving Day in 1983, charged with fatally shooting a 14-year-old boy who, on his way to school. They were convicted and sentenced to life in prison until the Baltimore Conviction Integrity Unit reopened the case last last year after Chestnut obtained sealed documents through a public records request that revealed prosecutors back then had hidden evidence pointing to another team and witnesses who had failed to identify the men in an original lineup had been coerced into altering their testimony. State's attorney Marilyn Mosby said three men had 36 years of their life stolen when they were just 16. There's no way we can ever repair the damage done. Time for all of us to own up to our role in locking innocent men behind bars. When Stuart, one of the three, heard the news he was being set free, he sat on his prison bunk and sobbed uncontrollably, He followed that revelation with this statement My journey is just beginning. I have to learn how to live right now. I wonder when Jeremiah announced God's message of a promised new covenant, despite their immediate experience of defeat and devastation, did they feel like their journey was just beginning? Or did they think it had come to an end? It was when they were most hopeless that they receive a reason to live with hope and to learn to trust God all over again. The background to Jeremiah's announcement was the old covenant that God had initiated with Israel at Sinai. God was to serve as sovereign Lord in the people were to obey all the stipulations of the covenant agreement. But since the days of Moses, Israel's history was one of persistent failure to keep their terms of the covenant. It was not so much a matter of refusing to obey God's law or acknowledge Yahweh's sovereign role, but that they were incapable of such obedience. Jeremiah said as much in in chapter 13:23 when he suggested Israel's problem was a spiritual dilemma can the nubian change his skin or the leopard its spots it was simply not possible for Israel to keep such a covenant therefore a new covenant was needed And more than the hope of a new covenant, God promises to bring about the necessary change in their nature to make them capable of such obedience. The old covenant was external, written in stone. But this new covenant, God plans to set his will within their minds and write his law upon their hearts. Whenever we try to be good without a relationship with God, it just doesn't work and when we try to live the good life separate from a God life it doesn't work God promises to form a deep intimate relationship with us and empower us to be able to do God's will no longer do we have to do it in order to win God's approval and acceptance because Jesus does that for us instead We get to do God's will because we desire to do so. It's that difference in a child who's small, who wants to please his or her mom or dad, and always checks, did I do that right? Are you happy with me now? And you want so much for them to grow out of that and just realize, I can't love you any more than I already do. Nothing you do will break that bond. I want you to choose the things I I direct you toward or lead you in for your good, not for mine. The extent of the transformation is such that intermediary roles like a priest or a prophet or a teacher are no longer necessary to teach God's people because all shall know him. From young, from the youngest to the oldest, from the least to the greatest. I love Advent. Advent reminds us of God's promise that is fulfilled in the coming of Jesus. And Advent reminds us to live in hope. Hope that acts on the conviction that God will complete the work he's begun. Even when appearances... Or circumstances are to the contrary. Hope commits us to certain actions that connect with God's promises, and hope waits with determined actions for a future that God is bringing into being. As Lydell Grant put it, "Hope that never gives up but trusts in God." Or when fear. Or when it's far easier to languish in despair and do nothing and give up. Hope takes initiative and continues to believe and expect God will act. Just as Alfred Chestnut believed and did. Who of us doesn't want a deeper, more intimate relationship with God? And this meal that Jesus celebrated with his disciples and gave new meaning to when he personalized its elements is an opportunity and invitation for us to accept such a relationship. Jesus employs the language of the new covenant, which only appears one time in all of the Hebrew scriptures in that Jeremiah 31 passage. And he he offers the cup to his disciples and relates his mission and life work as being a continuation of what God had promised, salvation for Israel and for the world. And when Jesus uses the phrase, this covenant in my blood, he links his death as an act of atonement, of forgiveness for our sins, and enables us to participate in this renewed covenant relationship with with God. Let us prepare our hearts to receive the gifts and the wondrous grace that God offers us in Jesus Christ.